Uh, Today's reading is from Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 through to 19. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day, in our time make them known, and wrath remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Salah. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendour was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, Salah. You spit on the earth with rivers. The mountains you saw and sorry, the mountains saw you and withered. Torrents of water swept by, the deep ward and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still, and the heavens and the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot, Salah. With his own spear you pierced his head when warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched one who were hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God, my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go onto the heights. For the Director of Music on my stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, on this beautiful morning, what a privilege it is to be able to worship your holy name. We thank you for the opportunity we've already had to sing your praises, to come before you humbly in prayer, to hear your word. And as we spend some time now thinking on your word, we ask that you would continue to minister amongst us by your spirit. Feed us, teach us, change us, to make us more and more into the image of our Saviour and Lord, the one in whose name we pray, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please take a seat? Well, uh, if you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is going through a series in the book of Habakkuk. And, uh, but don't feel left out if you, you feel like you've got to catch up. This, you've come to the big one. You've come to the end of the, uh, the series. We've been looking at this little book that comes towards the end of the Old Testament called Habakkuk, named after the prophet uh, who wrote it. And today we're wrapping things up. Chapter 3 is the final chapter and uh, we're going to see it all conclude. And I hope that if you have been with us over these few weeks, you've seen the crossover between the experiences and feelings of Habakkuk Uh, and life today for you and I as a Christian. That's been one of the things that's blown me away as uh, I've been going through it. We've we've seen that despite Habakkuk living at a very different time in history, in a very different place uh, from ours, 
the difficulties and issues that he's been going through in life are essentially the same ones that you and I go through today. We've been seeing principles that remain. This has been a man wrestling with God. This has been a man going through the ups and downs of life and trying to work out, what are you doing here, God? I do not understand it. Or what are you not doing here, God? Why haven't you done something about it? This is a man who saw evil around him uh, and saw injustice and suffering and he couldn't understand how God allowed it to carry on. He doesn't get God's ways. So he worries, is God what I thought God was or have I got it wrong? Is God good? Is he fair? Is he just? Is he loving? Or have I had it wrong all this time about the Lord? Have I been wrong about God? And we've been seeing over these weeks, you and I can relate to that. All Christians at certain times in their lives wrestle, sometimes powerfully and with great difficulty, with these very issues. As we try and reconcile our life experiences with the knowledge and expectations that we have of God. And in this book, what Habakkuk's been doing is, in the midst of these questions and worries, he's been shouting out to the Lord, crying out to him with his concerns, with his questions, with his complaints. And we've seen that that's a good thing to do. Uh, Habakkuk didn't hide from them. He didn't suppress them. He didn't try and pretend these difficulties didn't exist. No, he brought them to the Lord. He cried them out openly and honestly. And wonderfully, God answered them. Now, there's a difference between Habakkuk and us. You and I don't always get the kind of clear verbal answer to our prayers, our crying out to the Lord that Habakkuk does here, but that shouldn't surprise us. Habakkuk's a prophet. He's someone giving us the words of the Lord that we need. That's why we're studying him this morning. But so what's happened to get us to chapter 3 is in chapter 1 and 2, Habakkuk and God have been talking. Habakkuk has been laying out his complaints, his questions to God, and then God has been answering them. And uh, some of you will remember this, but Habakkuk's first complaint was, I'm surrounded by all this evil, Lord, why aren't you doing anything about it? And God said, don't worry, Habakkuk, I'm going to. But then he said the way he was going to deal with it, and that took Habakkuk by surprise. He said, I'm going to use Babylon, who's another neighbouring superpower area of the uh, uh, nation in the area, who's going to come in and demolish disobedient Judah that Habakkuk lived in. Well, that shocked Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk cried out to the Lord again. And you can understand his, his kind of thinking, can't you? His feelings. You can't do that, Lord. You can't use such evil to bring about justice. That doesn't seem right. And then God said, well, don't worry. Babylon won't be getting away with anything either. They too will face my judgment. But what you need to do, Habakkuk, is wait upon me. Trust me. That's where we got to last week. Habakkuk was assured that God was going to take care of things, everything was in his hands, and he was told by the Lord, wait upon me, trust me. And that's where we left it. And so it's very important to note, as we pick things up this morning with chapter 3, that Habakkuk hasn't had anything change in his life since he started crying out. He's in the same situation, he's surrounded by the same scene, he's got the same issues, the same problems, nothing outwardly has changed. But now he's heard from the Lord. And we're going to see the way that he responds to hearing from the Lord. We're going to see, uh, if you like, how Habakkuk waits, how he lives by faith. Uh, That was the the theory that Habakkuk was told last week. And I I did say, if you were here last week, last week was like the Empire Strikes Back of the Star Wars trilogy. It, It feels like we didn't finish properly because all Habakkuk was told was to wait. Now we're going to see how he waits. 
now we're going to see the, the rest of it and how it fits together. We're going to see how Habakkuk puts his waiting into practice. So today, I'm very hopeful, will be helpful for you and I. Because here are practical things that Habakkuk did and that you and I can do as we wait upon the Lord. And we want our faith to be real, don't we? We want it to make a difference in daily life. Well, we're going to see Habakkuk do three practical things as he wrestled with God and waited patiently living by faith. And I I, I hope and I, I believe what we're going to see is that these are things that we should be doing as well. So let me just give a brief overview of chapter 3 so that you can see how it hangs together. And then I've got three things, three things that Habakkuk did and that I believe you and I should be doing. Um, Basically, the chapter is a prayer. Do you see that in verse 1? That in itself is important to note, isn't it? Habakkuk's wrestling with the Lord. He's got these questions and complaints. He's been told to wait upon the Lord. What's the first thing he does? He prays. What a great example. Verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. On Shigianoth. We'll come back to Shigianoth. What a great word. Shigianoth. Uh, but it continues, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Do you see what Habakkuk's saying there at the beginning of this prayer, this final chapter of his book? He's saying, I know what you've done in the past, Lord, and I want you to continue to do the same things today. And then what he does from verse 3 right through to verse 15 is Habakkuk puts that into practice. What he does is he outlines things that God had done in the past amongst the people of Israel, the people of Judah, the Israelites, the deeds that he was just referring to. And I'm not going to read out all the details, all the verses this morning. All you need to know really is basically the names, the places, the events are all to do with the exodus where God had rescued his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt many generations earlier. All the images and the illusions are about God doing things way back then uh, at the Exodus. So that's verses 3 to 15. He looks back at those deeds that God has done. Then verse 16, we get the the last few verses of the chapter. These are the most famous and well-known, where Habakkuk starts talking about what he's going to do in the light of all this. See verse 16? I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And then he goes into the famous verses about the fig, uh, the olives, uh, those sorts of things. So that's the shape of the chapter. Did you see it there? We get the intro first in the first couple of verses. Then we get a look back to what God did, rescuing Israel from Egypt in the Exodus. And then we get the end as Habakkuk says what he'll do as a result of all this. So I've got three things for us to see that Habakkuk does as he waits upon the Lord, as he lives by faith. And here are three things that it would be very good for you and I to do. And the first is Habakkuk sings. That may not have been what you're expecting, but that's what he does. Habakkuk sings. I said before I'd mentioned the strange word in verse 1, Shigianoth. We don't know the meaning of Shigianoth. We don't have an exact precise meaning of that word. But it's, it's very likely that it's a musical term. And we think that because, I don't know whether you noticed it, but as Tori was giving the reading, it was an odd reading to read because it kept getting broken up by odd words here and there. Why? Because this is a song, chapter 3. Do you see the word selah? 
Three times the word Selah comes up. It's not just Shigian off, it's Selah. And Selah, if you know the Psalms from the book of Psalms, has the word Selah repeatedly through them because it was a musical term that was to do with how they sang the Psalms and how they played the Psalms. It comes up uh, halfway through verse 3, then again halfway through verse 9 and at the end of verse 13, Selah. Then look at the last verse of the, uh, the chapter, verse 19, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Again, that's a phrase straight from the Psalms. This, that's because this was an instruction on how to sing this chapter or how to play it. So chapter 3 of Habakkuk, as well as being a prayer, is a song. Why is that important? Well, basically, think about it. Habakkuk is in the middle of huge, a huge crisis in his life. He's going through some of the most fundamental questions and pressures that a believer can have. And all he's been told is, wait upon me, live by faith. He's been given nothing tangible. He's been given nothing uh, directly, outwardly for him to hold on to. And what Habakkuk does in this space is, he picks up his guitar and he sings. That's what he does. And you can miss this as you read through chapter 3, but we shouldn't. Habakkuk sings. And we should know that what he does here is good and it's proper. Music is so important in the Christian life. What does music do? Music helps us express and feel emotions. It helps us move things from our heads to our hearts. It helps us learn profound truth and theology in simple ways. I've shared with you before that uh, Karl Barth, who some people think is the Uh, the most kind of profound theologian of the 20th century. He wasn't, so don't think that, but lots of people do. Towards the end of his life and ministry, some people said, after all your learning and all your books and everything that you did, what's the the most important thing you ever did or or have known or learned? And if this is true, that Karl Barth said this, then I do like him for this, because this is a great answer. He said, does anyone know? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This great kind of... There's huge doctrines involved in there of revelation and how we understand God and his love towards us. And yet it was summed up with Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, which half the children at St Stephen's would know. And they would know the truth of it because they've sung it. I used to have a real resistance to listening to Christian music, to my shame. I didn't like listening to it privately. I'd sing it at church, but um, I didn't want want CDs in the car or, or, or be listening to it in my own. What a terrible attitude. You can get excellent Christian music now that has got wonderful truths to brilliant melodies and it connects us and feeds us in a way that you don't get when you listen to a sermon or you hear propositional truth. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things and I'm going to go on later on to say how important they are but that doesn't detract from what's important here. Singing and music does something different for us as believers. And music helps things sink into our heart and and mind as well. There's been a bit of a kerfuffle amongst some of the more uh, liberal churches in recent days about singing a very well-known Christian song, it's not modern now, but people, they talk about it, In Christ Alone. And you may have come across this. Uh, A lot of them change the words In Christ Alone now because they don't like the words, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. Now I respect them for not wanting to sing it because they're thinking about what they're actually saying. Those words are great, I love them. (laughs) I sing them loudly and I rejoice in them. But do, do you see what I mean? 
what they've realized is that what we sing seeks, seeps into our hearts and minds, which is true. Music does that. And there can be a fear in some more conservative churches, evangelical churches, about over-emotionalism in music or trying to resist getting too carried away with the music. I want to encourage us this morning to embrace that experience of music. Now, there's some things we should be careful of that. Be careful not to expect everyone to experience it the same way. If you're someone who experiences it as you dance and shout and raise your hands, don't look down on those who don't. If you're someone that's quite restrained as you experience it, don't look down on those that are dancing and shouting and raising their hands. So be careful not to expect everyone to experience it the same way. And be careful not to only want the experience. That's one of the dangers because if you're not having the experience of music then it can be very difficult for Christians. We need more than that. We actually need the mind and the truth statements and things like that. But why do you think God's given us music? Why has he gifted us in this way and gifted us with certain people who can lead us in that? Because it does something different. It gives us a connection and emotions and expression that can't come any other way. It's good. Funny then, isn't it, that so many problems at churches come up about Music. I don't know what to make out of that. Uh, Except, if I can offer you a piece of personal advice, if you don't like a particular song or a particular style or a particular... There are a lot of Christian songs that I don't like. In fact, I used to meet with Amy and Lee and a couple of others to plan the the services. I don't choose the music here because uh, they would always say, oh, what about this song? Amy would say, what about this song, Jay? Yeah, we can do that. Do you like it? No. And I said no to nearly every song, didn't I? I don't like many Christian songs. It's a good job I don't pick the songs. Otherwise, we just do Rock of Ages every song every day. Uh, So what do you do when you don't kind of like it? Don't focus on whether you like the song or not. Don't focus on whether you like the style or not. Don't focus on what you've been going through that day or not. Focus on the truths that we're singing and the God that we're singing them to. And it changes your experience of it. And not just... Uh, There's a place for kind of I love you songs which don't really say much but they just show a sentiment. There's a place for that and they're good and right. But we also want songs with meat in them. Songs that give truths for people to hold on to. I've been with elderly people as they've died. And what they remember, even if they've forgotten other things, is they remember the Lord's Prayer and they remember some of the truths of the songs that they've sung for so many years. They're great things. Singing can be so important for us as we wait upon the Lord, living by faith. So first thing Habakkuk and us are to do, sing. Second thing Habakkuk does here is Habakkuk remembers. This is the long section from verse 3 to 15 where he goes through all these incidents and events of the whole exodus. From, and if you go through it, you can see the plagues alluded to, the rescue, uh, Mount Sinai, the wandering in the wilderness, entry into the promised land. It's all there in those verses. But I'm not going to go into the details today because that's not the key for us, not the particulars. It's the principle behind it. Do you see what Habakkuk does? As he's struggling in life and just has to wait upon the Lord, he deliberately, intentionally stops focusing on what he's going through in life and he looks back and remembers what the Lord has done in the past. He stops focusing on his present circumstances and he looks back at who the Lord is and what he's done in the past. And again, like the singing, it's easy to miss this in this chapter. But remembering is vital for you and I as Christians. We don't often think that way, but I'm telling you it is. And it's important because our memories are so awful. 
Melva told me the other day she doesn't have a memory anymore, she's got a forgettery. That's how bad it's kind of got. But we're all the same, whether we acknowledge it like Melva or not. The rest of life makes us forget fundamental truths. Think about it in other areas of life. Lest we forget. When is that said? Lest we forget. It's said on Anzac Day at the end of the Ode of Remembrance. Why do we say lest we forget at the end of the Ode of Remembrance? Because of this theory. Because we forget so easily, quickly. And the warning of lest we forget is for us to be determined never to forget the lives lost, the sacrifices made, the pain and the cost of war. And we say it because we know we do easily forget that and we could fall into the same traps and problems again. In Christianity, it's no different. And if you think about the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, God is continually calling his people, you and I, whether it's Israel or you and I or the church or whatever, to look back and remember. We do communion regularly. Why? In remembrance of me, says Jesus. God instituted the Lord's Supper because he knows that at different times we have to stop what we're doing in normal life and focusing on our circumstances and remember what he's done in the past. God did the same thing with the Israelites in the Old Testament with the Passover. We do it with Easter and Christmas because we need it. I'm not doing a Palm Sunday service uh, today in terms of what I'm preaching on, but it does the same job because it's asking us to look back and prepare our hearts and minds for Easter as we come to it next week. And we need this as uh, as human beings. As the trials of life come to us, as the voice of the world shouts out to us, as the lies of the devil sound sweet in our ear, we need to remember the God who's done things in the past, what he's done, who he is. We need to stop and intentionally remember them. And here, Habakkuk has to remember two aspects of God in particular. Did you notice that? See it at the end of verse 2, and it's right through, is it on verse 2 there? And it's right through the Exodus account. It's the wrath and mercy of God, both those aspects of him. We see in these verses in this chapter God's response to evil and injustice, his wrath. But we also see his saving grace, his mercy. And we need both those aspects to have a right understanding of God. We don't get to pick and choose which parts of God we like and agree with. Um, And I mention this today because the idea of a God who judges or who has wrath is unpopular for some people. They can't kind of handle that idea. And so they deny it. They say, well, I don't like that bit, so that's not, that's not the God I... You some, we can't do that. You sometimes get people that say, well, I like to think of God as dot, 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 and they come up with aspects that they like or think appropriate, but we don't get to do that. We've got, we, don't, we don't create a God in our image. He's the one who's created us in his image. He's the one who speaks to us and reveals himself to us. It's the same as I can't say... I was trying to think of someone controversial. Donald Trump, Michael Jackson. Pick a person that's controversial. Some people love them, some people hate them. Well, I like to think of Donald Trump as, and then I'll pick the bits I like if I like him or the bits that I don't like if I don't like him, and I don't get to do that because there's more objective fact than that. When we're doing it with people, it's enormously difficult because they spin themselves, the media spins them, there's a whole lot of kind of problems. God reveals himself to us. He speaks, he acts, and his revelation is trustworthy, and we ignore parts of it at our peril. And God has shown us in word and deed that wrath at evil and injustice and grace and mercy are both aspects of who he is, his character. 
and we hold on to both of them. And that's good that they're both aspects of his character. If God wasn't going to do anything about evil and injustice, there was no judgment or wrong, that would be a terrible thing indeed. Anytime you hear of people who don't like the idea of that sort of thing or, or you worry about it yourself, remind yourself that if God didn't do anything about that, that would be the most uncaring God ever. To allow evil to go unchecked, to allow wrongs with no consequences or suffering with no com- comeback would be awful. It's good news that God will do something about it. And remember, that was one of the first temptations of the devil in the garden, wasn't it? God had said, if you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. What did the serpent say? You will not surely die. Temptation to not, not trust God's judgment. It's there. But, like Habakkuk, as soon as you reflect on the evil of others and the judgment of God, it's not long before you suddenly realise, uh-oh, I'm part of the problem. I'm also part of the problem. And it's then that we're even more thankful for the mercy and grace of God. He's the one that saves as he judges. Those two things go hand in hand all the way through the scriptures. Think of the flood. There's judgment, but there's salvation. Think of the exodus. There's judgment, but there's salvation. In this chapter, he talks about verse 12, the wrath striding through the nations, but verse 13, the deliverance. And of course, the clearest example is what we will be looking at next week, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. There, one, of the, the, one well-known book on the cross is called Where Wrath and Mercy Meet. That's the cross. The cross shows a God that will not let evil go unchecked, but also a God who would rather suffer himself to save you and I. That's what Habakkuk's reminding him of himself in this chapter. He's looking back and seeing this God, reminding himself of who he is. You and I don't look back now and do what Habakkuk did because we don't look at the Exodus. What do we look at? The cross, because that's a more full, more perfect example of both the wrath and mercy of God. But all those things are us remembering what God's done because that's what gives us hope and confidence for the future. The same God who's done these things continues to act in the same way. The same God who's done those things has promised certain things for you and I for the future that we can hold on to. Do you see how it works? So I've asked you this morning how you go with singing. How do you go with remembering? I'm a terrible rememberer. I don't even think that's a word, so I can't even speak. But I'm terrible in the, uh, I don't, I'm a live in the, per, in the moment now person, which means I very rarely look back and I very rarely look forward. And there's some strengths to that, but mainly weaknesses. But it's a terrible way to be as a Christian. Because as a Christian, we've got to, at certain times, stop, deliberately look back and remember, meditate on what God's done. That's what we do on a Sunday. That's why we open up the scriptures. It's what we do in our small groups if you're part of one of those. I hope it's what you do uh, regularly in your own kind of private time. But we've got to do it, otherwise we'll forget. Our anchor will be gone and we'll drift away kind of on the, on the, the, the waves of circumstances. You're in so much more danger and so much weaker as a Christian if you're not deliberately, intentionally remembering. Remember the cross. That's for us. That's what motivates us for mission. That's what encourages us in life. That's what pushes us towards the future. Remember it. So Habakkuk sings. He remembers. Thirdly, lastly, very quickly, Habakkuk trusts. I want to read the last few verses out because they're so good and uh, a lot of us know them very well. Remember, this is verse 16 and this is Habakkuk describing the end of his prophecy. He's heard the word of the Lord. Now he describes what it's been like and what he's going to do in the light of it. 
Verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. That's what happens when you hear the word of the Lord. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. How great are those words? Here Habakkuk trusts God even when it's awful for him. Remember his situation hasn't changed. All that's changed is he's heard the word of the Lord. We can gloss over verse 17 because we don't really care about figs. We we don't give a fig about figs. We don't care about olives and those sorts of things. But look at all the words and imagery in verse 17 from the point of mind of those people that were living back there. What Habakkuk is saying is, even though I've got no grain, no oil, no wine, no meat, no wool, no milk, no food, this is terrible for Habakkuk. Even though he's got none of those things, he says, I'll be patient and I'll rejoice in the Lord. Even when it's as bad as it can be. It's very easy to be patient and rejoice in the Lord when life is good. Very difficult to be patient and rejoice in the Lord when it's like this. And some Christians can have a kind of grin and bear it attitude where they, they put on their best face and kind of pretend that it's all okay, and, but it's not. Or they, they kind of barely tolerate it. That's not Habakkuk. He's admitted how bad it is. He's not pretending it's anything different. He's questioned. He's complained, chapter 1 and 2. But then he's sung, then he's remembered, and now he chooses to wait and to rejoice. And I say chooses very deliberately because nothing's changed in his circumstances. His problems haven't flown away, but he's sung, he's reminded himself of who his Lord is and what he's done in the past, and now as an act of will, as a state of mind, he trusts, he rejoices. And here's the balance, if you like, to the first point where I was saying that emotions in the heart are very important. They are, but they're not enough. We also need the mind, we also need the head to be captured by the Lord. Because if you're only a slave to the feelings and the emotions, then you'll be up when you're feeling up and you'll be down when you're feeling down and you'll be all over the place. You need your head sometimes to say, you may be feeling this way, but remember what God, who God is. You may be feeling really low and terrible at some time, you need your head to go, remember what God's done. You may be all over the place and you need your head to go, remember what God's promised for the future. Those are the thing, things that will see you through the black times, whether it's a loss of figs or a loss of loved ones whether it's a loss of olives or a loss of security, a loss of options. This is the waiting. This is the living in faith that Habakkuk puts into practice here and that you and I are to do in daily life. Do you see how Habakkuk focuses not on the shifting sands of circumstance, but on the solid rock of the Lord? He doesn't focus on what he's going through. He focuses on the God who holds him through it. The same Lord who Habakkuk describes as his strength in the last verse, the one who makes his feet like deer. I'd love to have feet like deer. He can rejoice, therefore, in good times or bad. But you see that none of this trusting happens by accident. There's things for us to do. He sings, he remembers, he trusts. He focuses on him. That's the way that the fig, even though the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes on the vines, he can rejoice and trust in the Lord. We see Habakkuk do it here. Now you and I need to do this. 
Let me close with another example of someone who did this, another example of a, a Christian who even through the most difficult of times was able to rejoice in the Lord. And some of you will know um, uh, the story of Horatio Spafford. He wrote a song that we sometimes sing at St Stephen's. In fact, I was going to get us to sing it today, but I I changed. He wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul, an old hymn. Uh, He was uh, an American. Uh, He and his wife were actually very close friends with D.L. Moody, who some of you will know was a well-known evangelist in the late uh, 19th century. And they were going to go on a holiday as a family, and they were going to go to England in part because D.L. Moody was evangelising there. And it's the late 19th century, so we're not flying over in a, in a jet plane, we're, we're sailing. But Horatio Spafford couldn't go at the last moment because of some business things, and so his wife and children went on the boat. And if you know the story, you'll know that uh, as they were sailing over, they were hit by another vessel. Um, uh, they sank, 226 people died, and amongst them were his four daughters. His wife survived, which is lovely, but his four daughters died. As Horatio Spafford uh, took the journey to England to be with his wife, and as he went over the the very area where the the crash had happened and his daughters had died, he wrote the words to the song, It is well with my soul. Here was someone whose hope in the Lord was not just dependent upon his circumstances, but on a trust and confidence in who his God was. And so let me close reading out some of the words that Spafford wrote at that time. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Spafford sung, he remembered, and he trusted. May we do likewise. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the last few weeks and the opportunity to look at Habakkuk and be encouraged to wait upon you. I pray that you would help us do that, not passively, but singing, remembering, and actively putting our confidence in you, so that we too, like Horatio Spafford, would be able to say, it is well with my soul. Amen.